It's been it's been a year since I've seen you guys. And uh that was that was so last year, wasn't it? <laughs> Are y'all awake? You're missing my humor. Or is it just that bad? Is it that bad? Alright, it's that bad. I'll move on. Okay. We got people unemployed all across America and here I am trying to be a comedian. Well, that's sad, isn't it? Okay, open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We will uh, continue in our, our Bible study this morning. How do you like this uh, July weather in January? And last week we had Antarctica weather, so I guess we stay around long enough, we'll experience it all, but it's a little warm in here, a little toasty. Dave, you got a fire built at the house this morning? No? Okay. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's just open up with prayer and and uh, and just ask the Lord to open up our hearts and our minds as we receive the Word of God today. And why are we doing that? Why are we even going to pray and ask the Lord to open up our hearts and minds as we read the Word? Why are we doing that? We've studied that already in First Corinthians. Why are we doing this? Somebody just said it. Yeah, it's spiritually revealed. The Word of God is spiritually discerned, uh, and that's why some at Corinth were saying it's foolish. And because they were unbelievers, they had a hard time comprehending the Word of God. So anytime we study God's Word and, and come in to, to, to glean from God's Word, we need to pause and go to the Lord in prayer and, and ask Him to open up our hearts and to speak to us through His Word today. So let's do that together. Okay? Also, before we do that, does anyone have any spoken prayer requests today? I know uh, we've got a little bit of the tragedy taking place in the Mascuda area with Linda Shepard's son in the house fire. So let's remember... Remember that family, if you will. Anyone else? Any prayer requests you want to mention? Jamie? Oh, wow. Okay, let's pray Pray for Valerie. Donnell, will you jot that down? Okay, let's pray for Val. Anyone else with a prayer request? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer, and we thank you for your presence and your promise that you never leave us, you never forsake us, that you would be with us all the way to the end of the age. And Lord, I just pray uh, that we'd feel your presence today. And Lord, I pray as we, as we study your word that you would open up our hearts and our minds and help us to, to receive your word today, that we may grow in our faith and in our knowledge of you and that we will become more like you. Uh, Father, for these requests that have been mentioned, Lord, I pray for Val today. I ask you, Lord, that you would touch her and, and give her comfort that, uh, that you're there with her, even through this surgery that will be coming in the future. And, and Lord, I just pray that, that you touch and heal her body. And if it be your will, that she may not even need this surgery. And Father, we just place her in your care and in your hand and ask you, Lord, to minister to her. Uh, Lord, we also pray for Linda Shepherd and and her family that's hurting this morning with the loss of her son. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you administer to her heart like only you can. And God, that you would just work in that entire situation. We place them in your care. And once again, we pray for our church family as we uh, gather together and study your word this morning. Uh, We pray that the Holy Spirit of God would take the word of God and make us all more like the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now here is a little test. <clears throat> We've been studying um, 1 Corinthians for some time. We have 
We have, I think it's pretty encouraging that we have journeyed through three chapters. The way that I teach uh, is very slow through a book, and, and uh, I think it's pretty, I'm pretty excited that now we're, we're in chapter four. I didn't know when we would get this far, but we have done some study in the first three chapters and just an overview to where we are now. Uh, Paul is writing back to the church at Corinth, uh, which was a very large church, which was a church that... Uh, had a lot of different um, culture elements that was involved in the church. People from all different walks of life were in this church. But this church did have a problem. A couple of things we know about the church at Corinth is that it was the most carnal church of all the New Testament churches in that first century. And it had more problems probably in that church than any other church that we read about in the Word of God. Not saying the other churches did not have problems. I'm sure they did. But we read more about the problems that were very carnal, worldly, fleshly from the church at Corinth more than any other. What is one of the big issues that, that Paul is addressing back to the church at Corinth? If you remember, he wrote a letter previously before even 1 Corinthians. And, um, and then they had responded back to him and they had sent a letter back to him with the other disciples, if you will, from that church or members from that church. And Paul is now writing 1 Corinthians back to them in regards to what he has been hearing from the church at Corinth. What was one of the problems? There, there are several, but what was one of the problems that we know now that was taking place at the church at Corinth? It was divided. The church was, was divided. And, and it wasn't just divided necessarily in the membership, but it was divided all the way up into the leadership. Now, the leaders themselves weren't divided, but that's kind of where it started right there. Not started, actually, but that's where it got up to. I mean, Peter, Paul, and Apollos, they were all on the same page and trying to do the same thing. But from there down, it really was divided. And what, what caused the division? What was happening and taking place? Immaturity. There you go, Bradley. Good job. They were focusing on men and not on God. They, they enjoyed, some of them enjoyed Paul's personality better than Peter's personality. Some of them enjoyed Peter better than Paul and Apollos. Some of them enjoyed the intellect that, that Apollos brought to the table. And they were just divided. They were, and, and what were they divided over? They weren't divided over theology. The division was not over doctrine. The division was over style. The division was over personal preference and style. So Paul has been addressing that. Uh, addressing that to the, all the believers at the church at Corinth about that. Now in chapter one, if you go back and remember, this is going to take us back several months now, but in chapter one, Paul addressed what? He addressed the Christians calling. He addressed who they were in Christ Jesus. And I think it's pretty neat that initially, Paul did not jump initially right to the, to the, to the problem. He started sharing with the Christian believers the benefits that they had in Jesus Christ. And that's what we find in chapter one. He shared with them their calling. In chapter number two, he shared with them what? The Christian's message. The Christian's message and the mystery of God, and which is the salvation of Jesus, uh, salvation that comes through uh, the person of Jesus Christ, and the responsibility that we have as a church to share that message. And so he's talked about the Christian's calling. He's talked about the Christian's message. In chapter three, he talked about what the Christian's church. He actually just brought it straight down to the church and shared some about the responsibilities and, and what was to take place in the church where they were worshiping and learning together. 
Now, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we find that Paul gives us three pictures of the local church, and we've already discussed that. He jumps now into chapter 4, and in chapter 4, this is the Christian's ministry. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, 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 there's a lot of the, that's pointing more to the minister than necessarily the Christian's ministry, but the Christian's ministry can certainly take place in this as well. But he's really drawing some, pulling some things together and talking more about the ministers of the church at, at Corinth. And he gives three pictures of the minister, three pictures of the preacher, three pictures of the pastor at the church at Corinth which he was at one time, and then the other elders that came in and helped out there. He talks about, first of all, and we're going to look at all of these in the next several weeks, but he gives us three pictures of the minister. Today, we're going to look at the picture of a manager or a steward. And that's what he reveals to us in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. He's going to paint a picture of the pastor or the minister and how he is nothing more than a steward or a manager. Now, we can make the application to where we all as believers are just managers and stewards and be right in that application. But within the context of the scripture, he's mainly primarily talking about the pastors of the church and how they are a manager. The second picture he gives us in verse 7 through 13 is that the pastor is a spectacle. In other words, he's put on display. And that's what um, we're going to look at in those particular verses. And then he's going to see, he's going to paint a picture of the pastor as a father. Where he kind of fathers and looks over the spiritual well-being of the family, the children of God, and works to to care for care for the flock. But today we're going to look in verses one, down through verse number six. And the primary purpose of this chapter is that 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 Paul wanted the believers at Corinth to understand how God evaluates the success or failure. Of a ministry. That's the main purpose and the main thrust through this particular passage. It's not about pleasing men. Hello? It's about pleasing God. And our praise team sings a song about singing and performing for an audience of one. And that audience of one is the Lord. It's all about one day, every single one of us are going to stand before God by ourselves. And what matters in that day is what he says, right? What he says, not necessarily what fellow man says. And we see in verse number six, the latter part of verse number six, before we really jump into this, where Paul says, the purpose is that none of you will be inflated with pride in favor of one person over another. And that's what he's addressing with their division now that's taking place. Now, you know, in in a church, I think... I think we've got to avoid extremes in evaluating men and ministries. Matter of fact, I wish I'd have pulled out of my phone. I just thought about it. Uh, some, some extremes that, that we place on men, primarily pastors and preachers, and then some we even place on members of a church and Christian laity of a church. We got to be careful not to go to either one of the two extremes. We, we can't go to the extreme that we just accept anybody. For, for any reason, regardless of what they believe, regardless of what their doctrine is, and we can't just accept anybody and, and, and then be completely indifferent with the Word of God. We can't go to that extreme and just anybody and everybody, oh, let's all come and, and be rosy and, and laugh and smile and doesn't ma- really matter what you believe. Let's just, we can't go to that extreme. 
But at the, on the other hand, we can't go to the other extreme where we're so legalistic and where we're so dogmatic and we've got to have every T crossed and every I dotted and every little thing just right before we accept a man into our fellowship or even a pastor into our, our church. There are some churches that even the Apostle Paul would not meet all the qualifications to become the pastor of that local church. Hello? That's, that's an extreme on the other end. I think there's got to be a delicate balance, but the primary purpose is that we stand in judgment of God and not of fellow man. And that's a little bit of what was taking place here in Corinthians in chapter 4, primarily where Paul is addressing some of the judgmental spirits and attitudes that were taking place among the people for the ministers of God that was ministering to them. Okay? So let's look in verse number one, down through verse number six, and, and we're going to see where in, in this particular chapter, where Paul gives us three pictures of the minister. Okay? Picture number one is the minister is a faithful manager. That's the first picture. He is a faithful steward. He is a faithful manager. And it applies to all of us, but within the context, remember, we want to be hermeneutically correct, right? And to be hermeneutically correct, there's one thing that we do know, that Scripture has what? Brad, help me right here. Scripture has one interpretation, many application. okay? That's how we rightly divide the Word of God. It only means one thing within the context of Scripture. Have you ever heard people say, and they read the Bible, and they say, well... I read that and it means one thing to you, but it means something else entirely to me. And and here's what it means to me. You know what that's called? That's called an exegesis. In other words, we're reading out of the scripture and applying it to our lives, whatever way we want to do that. That can be okay as long as we're talking about application of scripture. But when we're talking about interpretation of scripture, we've got to be careful that we keep it within context and it only means one thing. Are you with me? So within the context here, Paul is talking about the pastors at the church at Corinth. He's talking about himself, he's talking about Peter, and he's talking about Apollos. And why is he addressing them? That's where the division is. People are divided about who they're following in that, in that church, in that group. So the interpretation here, Paul is painting us a picture of the pastor, the leader of that church, and how he is to be a faithful steward. Now, we can apply that to all of us and realize we're all to be faithful stewards. But the interpretation is, he's painting a picture of the pastor here and how he's to be a faithful manager, a faithful steward. Let's read verses 1 through 6 together. Or I'll read and you follow along in your Bibles. A person should consider us in this way. I'm going to come back and say something about that. A person should, should consider us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of God's mercies. In this regard, it is expected of managers that each one be found faithful. It is of little importance that I should be evaluated by you or by human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself. For I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, now you've got to understand in Scripture, anytime you see a therefore or wherefore, you need to stop and see what it is there for. Did you get that? You're missing my humor once again. It's there for a reason. Anytime you see a therefore, pause. 
Because he's fixing to make a profound statement based on what he's just said. Okay? So let's go back and read that again. A person should consider us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of God's mercy. In this regard, it's expected of managers that each one be found faithful. It is of little importance that I should be evaluated by you or by human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself. Verse 4. For I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts, and then praise will come to each one from God. Verse 6, Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the saying, Nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be inflated with pride in favor of one person over another. I really like, as we go back to the very first verse and see how Paul started this particular portion of the letter. Look what he says in verse number one. A person should consider us. Now, who's he talking about there? He's talking about himself and Peter, and Apollos. But I want you to see what he's saying, how I want you to consider us. Consider us. Consider me, Paul. Consider Peter. Consider Apollos as what? Servants. Servants of Christ. And managers of God's mysteries. We've already unpacked what the mystery of God is here in 1 Corinthians. And what is the mystery of God that we've unpacked? The gospel. It's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Remember the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The the gospel message can be found in pictures in, in the Old Testament, but it's revealed in the New Testament. That's the mystery of God. Now that Paul is saying that it's my responsibility and Peter's responsibility and Apollos' responsibility to be managers of God's mystery to take care of how we're proclaiming the salvation and oversee that. But I want you to look what he called himself and these other two great men of God. The Apostle Peter, Apollos, And the Apostle Paul, look what he called them. What did he call them? What did he call them? Servants. Servants of Christ and managers or stewards of God's mysteries. He called himself a servant. He said, you know what I am? I am a, just simply a servant. Now, if you like to do word studies, I encourage you to unpack that word a little bit. Go and see what the the meaning of the word servant there is. Go back into the, the Greek and it's literally translated as an under rower. Paul is saying, I am an under rower of Christ, managing the mysteries of God. Now, what was an under rower? You remember back in the in the Roman Empire and the, and, and the big ships that they had out at sea. And, and, you know, they didn't have these big engines on them. They had the people that were below the deck, the servants, the slaves. And you've seen those old movies and, and they're what? 
They're rowing. They are the under rowers in that ship. Just down there underneath the ship, not on the top deck, barking out the orders. They're servants of Christ. They're the under rowers in the ship. They're down there just faithfully rowing and serving and doing what God has called them to do. Looking to please God only, not to gather a, or not to have a popularity contest, not to be elevated or lifted up or put on a pedestal. Paul is saying we are servants of Christ. We're the under rowers. And guys, you know what? I hope and pray, and I've said this since day one of starting Victory Church. Do not put me on a pedestal. Because as soon as you do, I promise you, you will be disappointed. You can say amen right there. It's okay. I will let you down. I'm just human. We're all just human. Matter of fact, we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. That's it. Plus and minus nothing. Just God's called me to be a a pastor and a teacher of his word. And and I am just a servant. I'm just an under rower. But really, that's what we all are. We're just servants of Christ. He's the one that should get the glory for everything in our lives, right? He's the one that should get the glory for our everything in our church. He's the one that should get, some, get the glory for everything in our families. We're just servants. Another passage of Scripture, Paul declares and calls himself a servant of the Most High. What, what an awesome position to be in. Is that not? I mean, just think. We get to serve the Lord. That's pretty amazing, is it not? So don't don't allow people to to puff you up with pride because of who you are or what you're doing or or even my you know I tell my don't allow that. We're just servants. We're just under rowers. We're not the captain of the ship. We're down in the bottom. Where the slaves are, just faithfully rowing away and listening for the call of the master on which direction he wants us to row, or even if he wants us to row. That's our job. And that's what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth that has been just swollen up with pride and exalting these three men. There was even a spiritual, real spiritual crowd that said, no, we don't follow any of those men. We follow Jesus. Well, Jesus put some things in order. And one of the things he put in order was an under shepherd of the local church, pastors. And, you know, so there was a whole other segment of whole other teaching taking place there. But, but they were building up these men. And the first thing Paul did was he put a pen in the balloon and just let all the air suck out of it and said, listen, we're just under rowers. We are merely servants. Now, look what he said. Servants of Christ and managers or stewards. They both mean the same thing. Managers or stewards of God's mercies. And then he said in verse number two, in this regard, it is expected of managers or stewards that each one be found faithful. And what Paul is saying here, listen, it's my job to be faithful as a manager. It's my job to be faithful as a steward. There's a few things we know about stewards and managers. And we've taught this for years. What's one thing we do know? There's, there's a four-word phrase that we have used for years around here. What is it? Do you remember? God owns it all. 
God owns it all. We don't own anything. We're just a steward. And what a steward does, he manages, he manages things for the owner of those things. He doesn't own them. He just manages them. Guys, do you realize that everything that you have in your possession right now, everything that you have in your possession right now, that you claim ownership to, one day somebody else will claim ownership to that. One day it'll be somebody else's. You realize that? Hello? The house, the cars, the clothing, everything. You see, you can't take anything with you to heaven except your family. That's the only thing you can take. I think that's a pretty good thing to take to heaven, is it not? Your family. All this other stuff, it's just stuff. And we're just managers. God owns it all. He owns everything. It all belongs to him. All the money, all the buildings, all the houses, all the cars, all the jewelry, all the stuff. It all belongs to God. And what we are are simply stewards or managers who does not own anything, but we manage everything that we have on behalf of the owner of all of that, which is the Lord. Back in Genesis chapter 39, you'll find where Joseph was a chief steward. To the household of Potiphar. He didn't own any of that stuff. He just managed it for Potiphar. And I like the analogy as you you bring that and you come down through here. In Genesis 39, Joseph was a a chief steward in Potiphar's household. In Galatians 6.10, the church is the household of faith. In Matthew 13 and 52, ministers are stewards who share God's wealth with the family. And then we find that Paul shared the spiritual wealth, which is the mysteries of God. So in other words, he realized that all that belonged to God, and he had been called just to manage the mysteries of God and what God had placed in his possession. So what is the responsibility of a steward or a manager? What is the responsibility of a steward or a manager? What is it? To be what? Faithful. To be faithful. That's it. That's it. Our responsibility is to be faithful. Your responsibility is to be faithful. My responsibility is to be faithful. Because we're all just under rowers working together. So the main issue is not, is Paul popular? The main issue is not, is Apollos a better preacher than Paul? The main issue is not on on style or I think it ought to be this way or I think it ought to be that way. The main issue is have Paul and Apollos and Peter been faithful to doing and managing what God has placed in their possession. Because one day they will answer to him and to him alone. Friends, one day you will answer to God and to God alone. Hello? One day I will answer to God and to God alone. So it's not about being popular. Matter of fact, there's a lot of pastors that are not popular. Matter of fact, there's a lot of pastors that aren't even popular in their own church. It's not about pleasing people. Hello? It's about being faithful to the Word of God. You see, a lot of times, and let's keep within the context of Scripture... We're talking about pastors here, and Paul's talking about himself, and he's talking about Peter, and he's talking about Apollos. He said, consider us. A lot of times, as a leader of a church, you've got to make some decisions that everybody's not going to like. 
But you have to look up and say, Lord, are you pleased with this? Is this the direction that you would have me to go in managing your church? And it's hard sometimes to make decisions. And you know that there's people that stand in opposition to the decisions you got to make. And that's not an easy place to sit. But that's when you got to. And in your own life, you got to do the same thing. In my life, this is what I do. I just close the door of my office and I get by myself and I say, God, all I want to do is please you. That's all I want to do. I want to stand before you one day and hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And God, if, if we're not supposed to do this, you tell me. And, and we won't do it. If I am supposed to do this, you tell me and we'll do it. If it hair lips the church and the devil, we'll do it. Why? That's for all of us, guys. Why? Because it's about pleasing the Lord. And I believe that if a certain... And by the way, you can go to Luke chapter 12. And, and Jesus brings out a parable all about this and kind of paints a picture of it. And I'm not going to take time and turn over there. But in, in Luke 12, verse 30 or so, down through verse number 48... Uh, you'll find where Jesus gives a parable about this very same principle of a steward. But here's what I do know. If a steward of God is faithful in his personal life, in his home, in his ministry of the word of God, then he is a good steward and he will be adequately rewarded one day from the good master, from the one who owns it all. And that is the Lord. What time do I have here? I got five. Let me give you something real quickly here. Now, I want you to see that as a steward and as a manager, that they got to be faithful. And Paul is saying we're just servants. And while we are serving, we're to be faithful. But I want you to notice what's taking place and what he points his finger to in verse 3 down through the following verses. He says, although we're just trying to be faithful and be managers and good stewards, He's saying, while we're doing that, we are being judged. And he brings out a threefold judgment that's taking place right here in these particular verses. Let me show them to you real quickly. First of all, he says, there's man's judgment. You're, listen, people are watching you regardless of what you're doing. They're watching. And, and even more so, I, I told one pastor one time, I said, listen, here's how it is when you're a pastor. You see, when you're a Christian, you get to walk on a tube of 12. You got 12 inches there to walk because the world's watching and they expect things from a Christian and believer that the world doesn't do or that they're involved in. They're expecting you as a Christian. If you're going to say you are, then they're expecting you to walk differently. And you got about a 12 inch board there you can walk on and you can probably do that pretty good. But I told this one particular pastor when he went into the ministry, I said, let me share with you now about this 12 inch board. You've heard me talk about, you know, you no longer get 12 inches as a pastor. You get two. We're going to turn it up on the narrow side because you're held almost to higher expectations from God's people and you really got to be careful. It's almost, as a pastor, you really live in a glass house. They watch your children. They expect this. They expect that. There's man's judgment that's naturally going to come. That's what Paul is saying. Look in verse number three. Look what he says. It is of little importance that I should be evaluated by you. <laughs> or judged by you. So apparently the people were judging Paul and judging Peter and judging Apollos. 
They're probably like the American idol judges sitting out there and judging on their, their preaching and their style and what they were doing. By the way, that's fixing to come back on. Do you guys like American Idol? My favorite part is the first two or three weeks when they got all those people that think they can sing and all those mom and daddies and sisters out there in the lobby that think that child can sing. This blows me away, some of that stuff. Anyhow, I didn't mean to go there. But it is of little importance that I be evaluated or judged by you. The people are going to judge. And there's the human judgment. But Paul didn't get upset when they criticized him. He said, it's of little importance to me. That didn't mean that he didn't care. Don't misunderstand that. Right? It didn't mean that he did not care. As you read on down through here, you'll see in the latter part of verse number four, he talks about there's one who evaluates me that he's concerned about, and that's the Lord. So he's saying in verse number three, it's of little importance that I should be judged or evaluated by you. So there's the human judgment. There's man's judgment. And then in verse number four, there's also the servant's own self-judgment. To where we look at ourselves from time to time and evaluate our own self. We judge ourselves. By the way, we're commanded to do that all through Scripture, are we not? Look at verse number 4. Look what he says. He says, for I am not conscious of anything against myself. Paul's judging himself. He's looking in his own life and he said, I'm, I'm just not aware of any, anything. He said, if, if there's sin there, if there's something I've done wrong, I want to confess it. I want to admit it. But I, I'm just not aware. So there's that self-judgment that takes place. By the way, that's a good judgment. And we need to be always evaluating ourselves evaluating our lives, judging ourselves. Okay? That's a good good judgment. But then there's a third and really the most important judgment is God's judgment. And we find that in verse number, the latter part of verse number four. He says, the one who evaluates or judges me is the Lord. And there's the Lord's judgment. And that's the one we need to really be concerned about. There's always going to be man's judgment. People are going to judge you regardless of what you do. Are they not? You've, you've probably, how many has experienced that? Yeah, we all have, okay? People are going to judge you regardless. Paul said, I, I like what he said. That's of little importance to me. It doesn't mean he doesn't care, but it, he's talking about in light of the greater judgment being God's judgment, okay? Now, a few weeks ago, and this is the most important judgment, the one where God judges us. And by the way, what does he judge us by? What is the standard? What does he use as the, as the bookmark, if you will, to judge our lives? As the plumb line, yeah. The, the Bible he uses the word of God. This right here is what, matter of fact, James says that this is a mirror. Boy, we can start studying ourselves in light of God's word and some things will be revealed. And that's where the self-judgment needs to kick in and we need to make those things right. Maybe do some correction along the way. But God's going to judge us according to his word. And that's that judgment that comes from the Lord. And that's where Paul says, there's one who evaluates me and that is the Lord. So he judges us through his word. There's the ministry of judgment that comes through the convicting of the Holy Spirit. As we read his word, the Holy Spirit then convicts our heart. Or we hear his word being proclaimed and the Holy Spirit pricks our heart. Or we, or we watch a, a, a Christian video or movie or something and all of a sudden... Or, or there's a Christian friend that comes by that, that really loves you and cares about you and shares a little something and there's that judgment. I mean, God uses a lot of different things to speak to us. And we preach a whole series of messages on, on how God speaks to us. 
And a lot of that is, is God trying to help us get in alignment. But the main reference here, when Paul is saying in verse number four, the one who evaluates me is the Lord. The main reference here is what I taught a couple of weeks ago about the final evaluation on every born again believer. And that's when we all stand at the judgment seat of Christ as believers. And at that day, we will be rewarded. You remember there's wood, hay, and stubble and gold, silver, and precious stones that we taught a couple weeks back. And how I, I believe personally, according to the Word of God, that that's talking more about the doctrines of the Word of God. And then it gets into some of the motives of the individual that's being there. And, and we, that's where we'll be judged. All of us as believers will stand there. Do you realize some people think, boy, if I'll just accept Christ, and I, I gotta stop, I'm fixing to wind down. Some people think, boy, if I can just accept Christ, I'll escape the judgment of fire. And the reference there is hell. Well, that's true. You will escape hell. But you still won't escape, well, you still will not escape the judgment of fire because there will be a fiery judgment in heaven. Hello? For every one of us, we are going to be judged. And our works and our teachings and everything that we do, our motives, will all be judged by fire. And if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it'll be consumed. If it's gold, silver, and precious stones, it'll come out beautiful on the other end, far more and far greater than it was going in, because then it will be refined. But we're all going to face judgment. And the judgment we need to be most concerned about is what Paul was saying, the one who evaluates me is the Lord. That's an important judgment. Let, let me finish up this to verse number six so I can start in verse number seven next week. Look in verse number six. Let me share with you a couple things here. And Paul gives a threefold rebuke here about judging. Look what he says in verse five. He says, therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intention of the hearts, and then praise will come to each one from God. The Corinthian believers were judging Paul and Peter and Apollos, their own standards, their own preferences. It brought division. It brought discord among the church there. And Paul is, saying, Paul is giving them now a rebuke. He's saying that we're judged by humans. We have self-judgment taking place in our life. The main important judgment is the one that comes by God. Now, let me rebuke you a little bit about the judgment that you're giving to these three men and himself being one of them. The first rebuke, he says, he says, you're judging at the wrong time. You're judging at the wrong time. Look what he says in verse number five. He says, therefore, don't judge anything prematurely. Don't be judged. The work's not over yet. The men aren't done yet. Don't judge. You see, it's unhealthy for us as Christians. It's even unhealthy for us as a church to judge other churches or other ministries or other pastors or other believers. What's the little shirt that kids used to wear? Our kids wore it when they were toddlers and, and in elementary school. And, and God don't make no junk and, and be, be patient. He's not finished with me yet. Or God's still working on me. You know, you've seen all those little shirts. He's still working on all of us. So don't be so quick to judge. The judgment that is most important is the one at the end. So do not judge prematurely. And by the way, who are we to judge anyway? We can't see the intent of a man's heart. Can we? 
Scripture brings reference to that in 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 7. It says, the Lord said that man does not see what the Lord sees. For man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So we got to be careful that we don't start judging each other. Because we don't know each other's intent. We don't know what our motives are. We don't know each other's heart. So don't judge at the wrong time. The second thing he says, that you're judging by the wrong standard. You're judging by the wrong standard. Look what he says in verse number 6. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the saying, nothing beyond what is written. Stop right there. That's the standard. They were judging beyond what was written. The standard that we judge by is this, God's word. Hold on a minute here. And I got to stop. I promise you, I'm, I'm looking for a place. I'm trying to land this thing. I'm just looking for a place to bring this bird down, okay? Bear with me. Guys, do you realize that every single day across America, people judge, especially on Sundays, people judge different ministries from their own personal preferences that really have nothing to do with God's Word whatsoever? And one of the areas that, that I see this probably more than anywhere is in the style of worship whether it's traditional hymns, whether it's contemporary music. I see, I see that as a, as a big thing in our culture and our world today. That's not, that's not the standard that's written. Hello? That's what was taking place in Corinth. They were judging over personal preferences. Hello? Taking place. They were adding to Nothing more than what is written, Paul is saying. This is the standard. Do not add to it. Do not take away from it. They were judging from the wrong standard. They were, not, they were adding to the, the word of God. The third one, let me stop this one. I'll stop with this one. They were judging with the wrong motive. Look at the latter part of verse number six. The purpose is that none of you will be inflated with pride in favor of one person over another. There it is. And that was their motive. That was their intent of their judgment. They were favoring one Pastor Paul, Peter, or Apollos over the other. And he's saying that that is wrong. Each group in that church, they were, they were tearing down other preachers to, 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 to build up the one that they favored. And that was wrong. It's, it's wrong of us to do that. In our world today, it's wrong of us. Their motive wasn't spiritual. They were promoting division. And you know what they needed more than anything else? They needed to examine their own hearts. Instead of looking out and judging Paul and Peter and Apollos, they needed to look within. But isn't it amazing that that's usually the last place we look? It's pretty easy to point a finger out there. It's always somebody else's fault. Is it not? Or if they'd have done that and they'd have done that and they'd have done that and they'd have done that, then this and this and this and this. Let's, let's don't get caught up in that. Let's, let's judge ourselves and realize that one day we are going to have to stand before the Lord. So final statement here. God's servants are stewards of his truth. And the key test is this. Have we been faithful to obey and teach the word of God? And let me add this one. If we're faithfully preaching it, let's be sure we're faithfully practicing it. That's all of us. Let's, let's walk the walk. If we're going to talk the talk, let's walk the walk. Okay? Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for your time and studying your word today and, and the tremendous insight that the Holy Spirit gives us to your word and, and how it's sharper than a two-edged sword and it pierces and dividing the sunder of soul and spirit and bone and marrow. And God, I thank you for that. And that's what we need. And Father, I pray that we would not be guilty of judging one another. We don't know what each one's motive or what their heart or their intent may be. But God, help us to look at ourselves and evaluate ourselves and judge ourselves in light of your word, realizing that one day we're going to stand before you. Ask your blessings on our worship service and on each one that's here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.